Welcome to another edition of Real Talk with Real People, a candid conversation with Dr. Caroline Bethia Jones. I am your host, and today we will continue to have candid conversations about faith and religion. Ever since I was a little girl, I have been fascinated with religion. When I was younger, I understood religion to be a study of the Holy Bible. I didn't know other religions existed. I believed that everyone believed as I believed and received the same teaching. I later discovered that that was not necessarily true. But it would take many years to realize that there was much more to religion than what I was initially taught. As a child, I questioned everything. And when I didn't get the answers I was looking for, I began my own search for truth. And that search led me down a rabbit hole from which I have yet to emerge. I am still searching and learning more than 40 years later, becoming a doctor of philosophy and biblical studies, and I have found that there is no beginning and no end. From forever in the past to forever in the future, he is God and I will never be able to grasp his sovereignty. But even still, my quest for knowledge continues. My returning guest is Mr. Nika Ahmed, and for the next three months, he will teach me something new. We will have amazing spiritual conversations that will continue to guide me on this spiritual journey as I strive to obtain a higher consciousness And although often called a teacher, there is still a lot to learn. And I am not afraid to call myself a student. I welcome this opportunity to learn and grow. So welcome to my show. So we are back once again with part two of our discussion on Kemet. I am here with my guest and my beautiful co-host, Miss Anita Crumb. How are you doing, Anita? How are you? I'm doing mighty fine on this beautiful summer day. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Wonderful. I can't wait to get started with this conversation. I'm excited about it. Yes. Yes. Wonderful. So good evening, Anita D. Crumb. I am a member of Sister Helping Sisters um, in Christ Ministry and co-host with the wonderful Dr. Caroline Bethia Jones. So again, we're here with our um, co-host or with our guest today, which is Basui Niki Amen and Kiana Jones Niki Amen. And today we're going to dive a little deeper from what we did last month. Last month we talked about, it was our introduction to ancient Kemet. We talked about cultural cultural suppression. We also talked about educational reparations and it's ours for the taking and rich conversation. We also talked about dispelling misconceptions, the myths and and misnomers that keeps us away from this rich topic. Also, we ended up with inspiration from the ancestors, which talked about the language and the culture which are timeless. And today we're gonna pick up where we left off and Basui will begin the conversation on the language of the gods. But first I like to have Kiana just say a word before we get going on this topic. Kiana. 
Yes. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having us back here again. Um, we're just really excited about this topic. I know, um, knowing Basui for the past five years, every time he speaks about Medinetia and what it is and what he's been studying, his eyes really light up. And I know that's where his passion is. So I'm really happy that you have us here tonight so that he can just explain a little more about what it is that he's studying. Because even myself being by his side uh, for these past few years, I'm a novice. I do not understand this stuff yet, but I'm very hopeful um, that I will get there. Um, I'm very interested in it and especially seeing how much it's helped him and how much he fights for it for us to really get back to this language. Um, and plus, you know, we have a daughter now. She's 15 months. And I do know that when he starts to teach her, that's when I can kind of get my lessons going. So I'm excited. We have flashcards. We have so much. But tonight he's really going to give us the bare bones on what it is and how to look at it and how he does his studies. So I think that'd be really helpful for all of us. So I'm here to learn as well. Great. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Basui, hi. How are you this evening? How are you? How are you, Miss Anita? Excellent. Yes. Excellent. And um, you know, once again, uh, thank you for having me back. <laughs> uh, truly grateful. I express nothing but gratitude uh, to be able to speak on this platform about you know something that I'm, I have a passion for, you know, and and I and I'm grateful for that. So thank you, Dr. Jones. Thank you, Ms. Nita. And to my lovely wife, Kiana. <laughs> Absolutely, Basui. We are grateful to have you. I'm looking forward to this whole conversation. So let's just jump in there and get started. Where do you want to yeah. take us? Right. Well, uh, as well, we're talking about, this is part two. So we're talking about the language, right? The language that fostered it all. And so... The language is called Medunetra. That's the language of what they call the ancient Egyptian, but we know the people of Kemet. You want to call them the Kemetiu, the Remetch, Kemet. Um, you know, it's all the same, the people of Kemet. And so Medunetra was the official language that was spoken and written by the people of Kemet. Uh, it's a language that uses, it's a language that uses symbols, as alphabetic symbols, as uh, syllables, and as words. And Madunetra means divine words, or the words of divine. Now, the meaning of divine comes from the term nature, right? And, and you know, nature has been kind of used interchangeably with the word God, and Neturu has been interchangeable with the word gods. Uh, it's a little different. Uh, it's a little different of a, of a concept. Uh, maybe it may not be to you. Maybe it may be familiar with you. But um, so the name for, you know, what they would, you know, call the creator was natural. One of the names was nature. And this was the uh, all-seeing, all-knowing force of creation that engendered creation and permeated everything in creation. Nature lives within everything. There's nothing outside of creation that nature doesn't exist in. And so there are many facets of nature, right? These are, and these facets are the forces, the creative forces of the universe that nature uses to help 
and gender creation and and all of these forces and act as one, you know, the nature. They're not acting outside of the nature. They're still part of the nature. They're just extensions of the nature. And so when he, anytime you hear the word nature rule, we're referring to these extensions, right? And they exist as you know, everything they you know, they're your helpers. And these are, uh, uh, you, you, you pray to the nature root. You pray in, in that you're, you're praying to the creator. You're just praying to a different facet of the creator. The nature rule allow you to be specific in your prayer because the nature rule govern uh, different areas of life, right? So it's, it's the creator, uh, an aspect that you'll be praying to that governs a certain area of life. And it's just, uh, put in a myth as a character, so we think it's somebody outside of the nature, but it's it's still you're praying to that one divinity. It's just something that's governing a certain part of a certain aspect in your life at that moment, and so that's who the nature rule are. They are those creative forces that are here to help you in life. Those extensions of the creator, and so. When we talk about divine words, right? The Madhu Nature has said it stands for divine words. Now, you know, it's it's been bastardized into hieroglyphics, which also means divine speech, right? In in Greek, that's the Greek renderings of Madhu Nature. But so where do we get this divinity from, right? And so the symbols that are used in, in Madhu Nature, right? These are images that are found, all of these symbols, symbols are images that are found within the five domains of, of nature. And, you know, the five domains are the platform for the divine intelligence of the creator to uh, permeate everything within creation and, and cross communicate to the other platform on the other domains. So now there's a working communication between the five domains. And that's what that in divine intelligence of creation allows. It allows for that cross communication. So whenever you hear about humans talking about they can speak to plants and plants will respond in kind, you know, depending on your attitude and your demeanor. So it, it's the divine intelligence is responsible for that universal love that allows that interaction between the five domains, right? And so the symbols uh represent that and so when they're used in words now it's letting you know that these symbols are backed up by that divinity right so they're they're not just empty words they're words that are backed up by divinity so when they're used they're kind of giving reverence to that divinity and there's a passage in one of the creation stories where the creators, you know, the, the name of the creator was Ptah in the, the, the district of Menefer in, in Kemet, right? The town of Menefer. Uh, Ptah was the name of the creator. Ptah was the one who engendered creation. And the, what allowed Ptah to do that was a nature, another nature named Jahuti. Jahuti represents divine intelligence. Jahuti was said to be the tongue of Ptah. And that's how Ptah engendered creation through the tongue of divine intelligence. So it's just letting you know that divine intelligence is the backdrop to the words. And Jahuti is the nature who is responsible 
for bringing, or was said to be the Netcher responsible for bringing Madhu Netcher into, uh, into Kemi. You know, mythalized. You know, that was the myth that Jehuti was responsible for that. And so uh, these symbols were employed, like I said, as an act of reverence, right, to that divine intelligence. So when these words are formed, uh, that are, they're being supported by the nature. And it just so happens that the word for Madhu is a walking stick, symbolizing support. And the word for nature is the symbol of a is the symbol of divinity. It's a it's a the flag actually, and the flag basically symbolizes divinity because the flag moves with the wind, right? And so the flag is symbolizing that that uh, invisible power of energy that flows all through the atmosphere, right? And that's what the white flag symbolizes, and so the divinity is supported by the walking stick, right? And so the, in these words is letting you know that these words are supported by that divinity. And so that's, you know, that's now, that's how when we put Madhu Necha together, it kind of gives you an insight into what it actually means, you know, into the power of these words, that they're being supported by a divine intent, by a, a, a divine intellect. Uh, so Madhu Netcher was written from right to left, left to right, top to bottom. So whenever you would walk into a temple, you would see Madhu Netcher on the right side, written from left to right, and you would see it on the left side, written from right to left. So you would see it in that same symmetry going in both directions. Remember, uh, one of the, the, themes in, in Kemet. The theme of dual uh, the theme of creation was duality. Everything was about duality. It wasn't just done on one side, it was always done on both sides as uh, complementary opposites, right? So duality is always found in Madhu Nature. Duality is very big in Madhu Nature. And we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, so Madhu Nature, you can find it Written in, uh, like I said, you can find it written on walls of temples and tombs, uh, on memorials, on gravestones, coffins, uh, vessels, right? Uh, it was used for texts, rituals, hymns, prayers. Uh, most of, in most of these aforementioned, you know, these things that I'm mentioning are undertakings uh, that were a way to honor these sacred, most, they were they were undertakings of honoring the deceased, right? So I'm talking about hymns and prayers and 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 these are spiritual matters and rituals, right? And so, what better way to honor the deceased than with words that are supported by a divinity, right? Words that are supported by the divine. And so, when you would see uh, Madhu Netcher written on coffins. You know, that that's what that is. You know, it's an honor to the deceased and hoping. But actually, we'll, we'll get into it. it's called. A, we'll, we'll get into that in a, in a little bit later. I don't want to jump. A, uh, I don't want to jump too bit ahead. But other places of importance where you would find the Madunetra, you'd find it on pyramids. Like I said, you would find it in coffins. 
in the early stages of Kemet, Madunetcha, one of the places where it was first found was in the pyramids, right? And these were called pyramid texts, right? And what the pyramid texts were, they were spells to help the, the deceased get through the afterlife, right? To help the deceased uh, in their afterlife. And then later on in Kemet, we go probably down that we were talking about the first golden age right here where there were like pyramid texts. And so then a little bit later on and around the second golden age, right? These spells were now, now when they were just in the pyramids, just to back up a little, when they were just in the pyramids, they were for the rulers, for officials, right? Aficionados and for uh, people in, in high places, right? This, this was for them. And so when you would get a little bit later on into Madunetra, I mean, in, into Kemet, these spells were now made accessible to the general population. And so now they were put inside of coffins for the deceased. And so anyone who had the money to buy them a coffin and put some spells on it can, you know, anyone who had the money to afford it can have that, you know, as their own. And so then when you get into a little later, into what they call the, the new kingdom, right? These same spells were now translated into a text called the pyramid text. You know what they call, I mean, uh, called the, what they call the book of the dead. Uh, but it's a misnomer for the actual term, which is Pert M. Heru, right? The book of coming forth by day. So these same spells have just been translated from the pyramid text, then they put them into the coffin text. And then a little later on, they put them into a book. Now they were really made accessible to the public. And so when people were, you would see a lot of the deceased buried with the book, you know, as opposed to just having writings along their coffin, they would actually now be buried with the book, with the spells, you know, to really make them accessible to the general population, like I said. Right. Basu, yes. let me let me interrupt you one minute because you're losing me and I don't want to lose anybody else who might be lost. All right. So I'm going to start with my first question, because my first question really you might be answering it right now and I'm not understanding. So it's OK. Metal nature. Is that how you pronounce it? Metal nature. Right. Now, is it a religion or a spirituality? Because you had mentioned something about spells. And so now I'm I'm a little bit confused. Uh, is it spells or is it is it a religious system? No, it's a language. It's a language. All but right, as so I was saying, the the symbols the symbols are are representative of of uh, nature, right? Of divinity of of the divinity found in nature. So these symbols that were used were these symbols that were found in nature. In these oh, symbols, okay. Right, okay. right. And so All right. I didn't want to lose I didn't want to get lost and I didn't want to I didn't want anybody else to get lost. So we're uh, we're still okay. talking about the symbolization. And when you talk about the right. symbols of the um um meta nature, you have mentioned higher hieroglyphics. And um that's what um I think they were renamed, right? So it wasn't originally called hieroglyphics, right? It was it was the original symbols that we are talking about was actually called the Metanetra, right? The Metanetra, right, right. Okay. The Greeks, uh, the Greeks, 
you know, when they went about their, you know, campaign of yes. kind of turning our history upside down with the right, word. Right, right. They turned it into hieroglyphics. Right. So I want to make so I just want to be clear what we're talking about in this moment. And in this moment, we're talking about symbols, what the symbols uh represent as far as um um the language goes. Okay. Right, okay. right. And, Can and, I add and, something? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think that um, people, when they think about the hieroglyphics uh, known as the metanation, what comes to mind is definitely pyramids or the, the coffin. Mm-hmm. Those are the main things that people recognize has the glyphs on it. So right. it's um, kind of a good visual to start there. But as Basui mentioned, that's not the only place they wrote it because that was their official language. So they wrote it on everything possible it's like our english we write english wherever we need to write but what's more common for us to see as the evidence of it is what's left behind which are the pyramids and the coffins we we can actually see that and what's written on the pyramids and the coffins and in the book of the dead are spells for the afterlife but that's not the only usage for metonetia but that's just very common and what we have to this day to see Okay, thanks for clarifying that because like I said, I was getting a little bit little bit lost. So that's why clarity is good. Anita, you wanted to say something. Yeah, I was I was gonna ask for clarification. So the um hieroglyphics there, that's a term that had been applied like after the times of Kemet, and they see the writings on the wall, so they renamed it hieroglyphics, or is that an actual term of what it is? No, that was a renamed, right? That was renamed. The people of Kemet didn't call it hieroglyphs. That, okay. You know, like we were saying before, when you use the timeline, you know, mm-hmm. they, they wouldn't use a word of uh, people that were, that came along 2,000 years later, right? That word wouldn't exist, right? Gotcha. So they they called it their own thing, which was, right, it was the Madunetri. Right. And now it's, you know, commonplace because they've used it so long. When anyone teaches anything about this, this period of time, it's the new name has been aside and they've done away with the history, which this is all about. We're bringing it forth. We're making it. Right. Yeah. Right. And in any way you go, who teaches it, they teach it as hieroglyphics, you know. Right. And that's very interesting. I'm I'm sorry. Oh, me. I'm so sorry. No, That's no, guys. Really explain to me, um, as as we've been going through, you can always tell where someone got the information from based on the words that they use. So I know Basui and his shrine, they teach the actual origin of the thing. So they teach what the people of Kemet said and did. So anyone else that's studying, they're probably getting the Greek version of. Egypt and not Kemet. So you can always tell because of what they, with the words, they're, they're using Greek terms all the time. So that's what um, Basui's teaching is showing us. He's really wanting us to go back to the origin so that we can get it from the source instead of getting the copy. Because you know what happens with a copy. If you make a copy from the original, the copy is not the same quality as the original. And then once you go making copies from the copies, it's even more faded. So we're, we're done with the history that we've been given all this time, which is copies. It's faded. It's not authentic. And we're taking it back to the beginning and getting it the way they presented it, 
straight from the source. Right. And that's and, and, the shine. Yeah. And Basui, that that's a that's a great explanation because it brings me to my second question. And Basui, I want you to answer it because Kiani gave us a little bit more insight. Why is it? Why is understanding the language of Kemet important? And you pretty much was going into that. You're you're telling us why it's so important for us to understand this language. So I want you to continue with that conversation because I think that's what you were getting at. Yeah. Well, it, it kind of goes into, I, I guess it's kind of a, a continuation of what we were talking about before. I mean, it's the importance is for educational reparations to re repair what has been damaged, right? And, and stolen from us. So that, that's just the importance of, of refining, re, re, uh, of, of putting the pieces back together. Right. For that educational reparations to lift the veil. You know, I always say, look, any injustice, uh, injustice to black history anywhere is an injustice to black history everywhere. Right. And so that's what that is. It's 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 an injustice where we need to lift the veil of all of those lies in the generational uh, uh, iniquities and deceptions that have been covering our truth. Right. And we this is just saying we need to get back to our truth. And look, whether it's through uh, studying Kemet or, you know, learning about uh, uh, new new facts about the slave trade that we were never privy to. It's all about under getting back to our truth, getting to our truth so we can put it in curriculums and start teaching our future generation the right way, because it's getting taken away from us as we speak. You know, they're not even wanting to put our history in the books and that's the wash down history. So we're talking about, no, we want to put our history into our books and deliver it that way. You know, and I think, like I said, the Madhu Netcher is just, man, I mean, it, it's, it's such a great example of doing that, you know, because it, it really speaks to injustice <laughs> like i said because every facet of madu nature has been bastardized we don't there's nothing that we speak of today about ancient egypt that really says kemet you know when you speak on a general term about ancient egypt and i think that should just make anybody who is really passionate about recapturing black history and rebuilding what our ancestors you know, once built. I think that that's just enough to make anybody who's that passionate to say, I need to, I need to dig deeper into this. You know, I really need to find out all of the truths about this. I need to lift those veils off and let people know about this because this is our history. You know, it's black history and being that it is, it's a narrative that deserves to be controlled and told by us. You know, even though we don't control what's going there on over there on, on the land, because of so many reasons, invasions, politics, but our esteemed scholars over the years have told us that even though we don't uh, control what's going on over in the land, we still have a hand in redefining the authenticity of that land because that authenticity is us, yeah. right? And so that should be done by us and, and only and nobody else because nobody is going to tell it in a way that satisfies our ancestors, you know, that satisfies our history. And so that's that's one of the reasons that that passion, you know, for for really getting into Madhu Natcha. Yeah. 
You know, Vasui, um, when you talked about the passion just now, I I can relate to what you're saying because in anticipation to having this conversation with you and this study with you, I was doing my own little research and I, through my research, found that they not only changed the name of the Meta Nurture to, to call it hieroglyphics, but they also changed the names of everything. Um, the architectures, the leaders, the scientists, the philosophers, the mathematicians, and the theologians. So as we are starting to open up again and to learn a little bit more about it, we're, we're going to start to understand that every single thing was counterfeit. It's a rabbit hole. It's a serious rabbit hole. Yes. The more you learn about Kimmy, the more you learn that you don't know about Kimmy. You know, you just go deeper and deeper into some more. His, it, look, even today, they're still digging up, you know, they're still doing excavations of people that existed 4,000 years ago. And, and it's it's causing them to predate Kemet even further now. And that's why, that's a lot of reason why, the you know, the, the archaeologists and the Egyptologists are opposed to doing so many excavations over there because of that, you know, in certain areas. You know, because they know that when they built what's called, oh, and I know we're really getting off topic right now. We're really no, getting we're off really, topic. We're really, we're, we're really not getting off topic. Okay, all right, right. Because see, when they built what's called the um this this Aswan Dam, right in in Sudan, what was formerly known as Kash, right, it submerged. It, it created a lake that submerged so many artifacts, thousands of artifacts. 250 feet underneath water. We can't get that stuff. That was man-made. You know what I mean? That was man a man-made dam, right? It submerged all of so much of our history, you know? And, and, and so these are things that we can't get that back. You know, we can't get that part of our history back. And, but this is, that's just an example of what is being done to our history, the whitewashing, of I, that's just one example of the whitewashing of it, you know, and why can't we, why can't we, like I said, lift the veil off for our future generations to be inspired by what these folks did? You know, these are our ancestors. Why can't they be inspired by that? They can't be because it's not packaged from us. It's packaged from, you know, the oppressor, those who invaded it, right? And so we have to, we got to regroup and figure out how to repackage this thing in its authenticity so they can be inspired and aspired to be like our ancestors, you know, to build the way that they built, you know? All right. And, uh, so I took you off of your um, yeah, I, it was a bit uh, of a, subject, but I did that because I wanted to, um, you know, make that comment. And I'm glad that you spoke the way you did. So I'm going to give you opportunity to go back to where mm -hmm. you were so that you can give us more information um, regarding um, the language. So you can continue where you left off. Okay, so, right. So we were talking about the the words going from the pyramid text to the coffin text to the, you know, what they call a book of the dead, Pert Him Heru, which is, you know, another bastardization. They love to say, uh, Kemet was a dead language, you know, that it was just all about death, right? but it wasn't, it was about life, you know, life was a preparation for the afterlife, and it was a cycle, and 
to bring clarity into that cycle, right? Now, remember, the, the sun was the symbol of the, the physical power of the creator, right? So it, there was a lot of reverence to the sun, right? And so this story that I'm about to tell you is the story of Ra is kind of like the, the, the meaning why they put the Madunecher in the, the temples and in the coffins and they made a pyramid text out of it and they turned them into, you know, as spells for the afterlife. And so as the sun rose in the eastern horizon, right, it rose out of the waters of chaos and we'll get to that. So it rose out of the eastern horizon, reached this peak in the sky and it rose uh, in the form of a kepper, a dung beetle, who pushed the sun disk up. So I don't know if you've ever seen that picture of a dung beetle pushing up a sun disk, right? That's the morning sun. And then as it rises, it crosses the sky in the form of Ra, as we know, our nature we call Ra. Then it crosses the Nile River over the sky. It sets in the western horizon. As it sets, it goes into the underworld. And just as it was perceived to cross the Nile above the sky, it's perceived to cross the Nile underwater in the underworld. And now, leaving it exposed now to being, um, to possibly confront, being confronted with all of the perceived creatures of the Nile. There were uh, hundreds of, of species of snakes that existed in the Nile, hippopotamus, uh, crocodiles. All of these uh, were like symbols that could impede the, 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 the progress of Ra to rise again in the morning. But of course, we know Ra is victorious and ends up rising again in the eastern horizon. And so the people, you know, the committee, you, the priests, they say, well, remember now, the sun is a symbol of the, the physical symbol of the creator, the visual symbol. And they say, well, if there's a chance that when the creator goes into the underworld, that if there's a chance that the creator can be impeded, that his progress back to rebirth, being reborn, can be impeded, then when we die, when we are deceased, that can happen to us in the afterlife. So we need to create spells. We need to put things around our coffin. And, and you notice coffins weren't just decorated with Madunetra. They were decorated with certain dolls. They were called Shawapti dolls. These were dolls that were like spirits that would that help you in the afterlife. So they put a lot of stuff in the coffins that were designed to help in the afterlife, in your rebirth, in to, you know, to to afterlife. And, and you know, that was the cycle to life. And this was seen as this cycle was seen as the the uh the uh the <laughs> the the continuous a continuous cycle of the creator, right? This was the continuous cycle of the creator. And this cycle represented the duality of life, the duality of all facets of all uh, facets of life, night and day, right? Life and death, good and evil, right? It, it represented that duality. And so this was another, you get another philosophy of this, just from observing this continuous cycle, right? You, you, you getting now a philosophy, a spiritual philosophy. And so this is where a lot of the spiritual philosophy came from observing nature, observing the movements in nature. 
you know, and and this is another reason why Madunetra was so important because putting the encapsulating nature into your script, you you know, you you like I said, it's a reverence of that divine flow of nature. You know, the way everything flows in nature. You know, and and of course we know the sun is a symbol in Madunetra. It's the symbol of of Ra, or it can mean uh, day. But you know, so that was kind of that, that kind of led to the importance of why they put uh, the, these glyphs the way that they did in the pyramids and, and in the coffins and in the you know in the book in the Purim Haru. I actually understood that whole thing. I understood it as well. Yes. So that yeah. was great. Oh, do I? <laughs> <laughs> So when you're when you're talking about the duality piece in um in that it's it's all one, I guess it's like the infinity of it. So infinity, that mind, was the word that I was looking for. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> the word that I, I was, right, right. Okay. So um it's um it reminds me of the um the symbol yin and yang. The bigger the front, the bigger the back. Right. Because it's all one and the same. One is light, one is dark. Right. So when you talk about um, the sun rising and setting, then having these, um, the coffins decorated with um, the symbols and the items within the coffin, right. it was to help them with that rebirth during the time of that dark period. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So then, and, um, and, go ahead. And, and even with that, you know, these, these the Madhu Nature, when you saw it in the coffins, right? This wasn't just some some random, you know, uh, uh, like random glyphs, right? These glyphs had a formula to them, right? Every time you saw it on coffins, this was a formula of offering, right? To to the and like I said, the the I mentioned the word nature rule, and so there were one or two main natural who governed the underworld, who governed the underworld. Like I guess these were extensions of the creator that governed the underworld, right? One was called Asar, he was the lord of the underworld, and one was called Ampu. And so when you look on these formulas, on these coffins, you would always see these two, the, or mainly you would see these two names on the in these formulas. And so what it is, it's called a, it's the day we're talking Madhu Nature, right? So I'm throwing some Madhu Nature out here. It was called a Hotep Day Nasut. Hotep Day Nasut. Hotep is an offer of satisfaction, right? Day is given by Nasut is the ruler. So offerings of satisfaction given by the ruler. Every time you look at glyphs on these coffins, that's what you're looking at. You're looking at the formula of a Hotep Day Nasut. So what it was was the deceased needed the, the, the stamp of approval from the Nasut, from the ruler, to validate you to the nature rule. Because remember, the ruler is the one who was the intermediary between you and the, the, the nature rule, you and the creator, right? That was the ruler's job, was to, to spread the, the word of the nature throughout the land and make sure Ma'at was enforced in the land, right? So you needed that ruler's stamp. And so satisfactions given by the ruler, that's what that was. And so when you're reading it, there would always be 
lynchings of those two natural and the fact and, and the a listing of the offerings that you're giving to these natural and after you give these offerings it's mentioned that you were true of voice while you were living true of voice means that while you were living your words reflected the righteousness and the truth of your spirit right every moment while you know that you were living you were true of voice and that's when you know you get to that scene of ma'at as well when your heart is weighed by the feather if you're balanced you're found to be true of voice so anytime you see uh true of voice if you would ever see it in a glyph uh you know you know they're talking about a deceased person because this person was found venerated in in the uh while they were living they were and they were given a stamp of the approval by the nisu right to make this happen and so that's what you see when you're looking at these coffins you're looking at the same formula you know and a lot of the times the person actually listed their relatives on the Hotep de Nasu. So they'll even let you know their genealogy on the Hotep de Nasu. This is what we call a, a, a tombstone because some, if it wasn't written on a coffin, it would be written on a slab stella around the top, just like a tombstone. But this is not in the cemetery. This was in your house, right? They call it a spirit door. You know, this, this was in your house. And this was being written as you were alive, your life. This was your biography being written on a tombstone, things that you've done, right? The people, your, your relatives, right? So it was more than just, you know, they lived this year, a dash, and they died this year. You know, so there was there was a lot going on in there. It wasn't just about, you know, those two years and, and you know, what you didn't do between those two years. No, it was about what you did, you know? So it was it, it's very interesting. It's very fascinating. No. Basui, it's it sounds like to me like um a living obituary. When when we die right. now, when we die, people uh write an obituary and they start to right. tell us, tell people about our life while we were living, and you got somebody who's writing this after you die. So it sounds like you're talking about a living obituary. You can't yeah. get and that wrong because you're doing it as you go along. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, and that brings me to the next question that I have, and I want you to because can you, I can I can I just yeah. say something to that? So, um, and this might be getting off topic a little bit, and we're going to. I think we talked about this. We're talking about language, but when we talk about um, the spirit door and writing this obituary while you're living, um, so that would cause the commit person to be a contributor to community, to be mm. an activist, to work with others and, and support causes. Because if you're not doing anything, there's nothing that gets to be written on the spirit door. And so that way there's no, you know, you didn't live your true voice. Right. You didn't live your true you didn't voice live your, because it, it's all about service and giving and doing. Right. But if there's nothing to write, then the Hotel de Nassut cannot be. Right. See, and because right. they've and, done and, nothing. Yes, yes, yes. Right. And that so, was not that you see, when when you talk about the weighing of the heart with yes. the professor, that was going yes. on every day. That wasn't just occurring when you die. Your heart was yeah. being judged every day. That was a judgment scene that was happening your whole life. You know, yeah. like we saw with the cycle of the sun. That's a night and day thing. 
as but, well as a, a life and death thing, you know? Yeah. So this is the duality of, you know, the existences, whether it's night and day, life or death. And that's every day or when you die, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You're being judged, you know, at some point. But it's, and you're being judged. So just imagine every, that um, the lives, the... Um, the, the richness of the people and all that they have accomplished and done and, and, you know, kings and queens and everyone connecting and giving, it's because of the Hope Dana suit and wanting to do. So community was big, it was formed. I mean, it's rich and it's vast yeah. and it, it, it worked. And it was amongst the people that got along peacefully and made things happen. Right. Remember, so life is a preparation for afterlife. So you can live it, in the afterlife. So you wanted to be, like I said, Heru while you were living. Yes. You wanted to be true of voice. True know, of while, voice. While you were living. And that's what made it to be such a, a flourishing um, people, the Kemet. I don't want to say the Kemetians because that's the name that you was can given say Kemet to you. You can say Kemet. Oh, Kemet to you. Right. But that's but that's for, for, oh okay, the Kemet to you. Right. But it's because of the way that they lived every day is what expanded the whole community. It expanded all the people because they're living good lives. Everyone's trying to make sure that that spirit door has a lot on it because that's yeah, imagine being obituary. held accountable by your, your tombstone. Yeah. You know, yes. that's, that's a lot of motivation. Say, yeah, definitely. Thank Can't you for, my, my for bringing that up, Anita. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up, Anita, because I believe that Caroline asked earlier about um, why study. What was the question? That, I don't know if you remember the question that you asked about study. Yeah, I, and I'm going to um, expound on it too. I said, why is understanding the language yeah. of, of- There we uh, go. I want to circle back because what yeah. Anita just said brought that back to mind. So there's a, you, uh, you guys are aware of the term Sankofa and that's, you know, to return and to bring back. So with the spirit of Sankofa, we go back to look at our ancestors. We take what they've done and it inspires us on our journey. And Basui already used the word inspiration when he talked about why you should study. So what Anita pointed out about how they were living on a daily basis, if we in the present day were looking at what they did and bringing it back in the Sankofa way and doing that in this present day time, there's no reason why we wouldn't accomplish in our present day what the committee accomplished. And that is another piece on why we should be studying it because we do need our community to get back to that. And we, we don't have that. We have it in pockets, but not across the board as they did. And I and, wanna add to that Kiana yeah. um, um, as you go, because what, what I went all, all of you touched on what I was trying to say. Anita, thank you for starting it. Kiana, thank you for adding some more. The reason for this, in my opinion, is because how do you want to, to wipe out a people? You, you, you don't want anybody to know that this was a people who had a system who were doing things in a way that brought community and spirituality. You want to wipe out their whole existence because right, we right. already know from what we from history that it was the um, the Europeans and the and the Arabs and and the rest of them who came in and and literally um, stole. 
all yes. of it. Right. And, and yeah. literally made it impossible for our ancestors' whole entire life to be something that they can pass down to their descendants because they destroyed all of it. They changed the names of all of these things and, and, and made it theirs. Now, Basui, you brought up the 42 laws of um, uh, Maat. You brought that up, and I'm glad you did because I wrote that down. Because what I wrote here is that, um, in a way, um, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam sort of plagiarized it when they created their own versions of their own moral um, 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 codes. Because when you look at the 42, um, yeah, I believe like eight. I think it's like seven or eight of the Ten Commandments. Are exactly. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. So a way to get a people to not know where they come from is to totally erase yeah. their history and then replant history of, of their own. So I want you to talk about that because I think that's very, very important. It, it, it goes to Kiana's point and it goes to Anita's point. So as we talk about that a little bit, um, I think that we can be a little bit more clearer in the understanding of why this is an important subject for us to talk about, why it's important for us to understand the language so we can understand how the language has been changed. So if you can um, speak a little bit about that, that would be good. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know if we touched on it, but I, you know, it's, look, that's the history of, in, in, you know, there's a Malcolm X quote, right? He says, um, of all our studies, history is best qualified to reward all research, right? And, and what he says by that is when you see that you have problems, all you gotta do is examine the historical method of other people who have problems similar to yours. And once you see how they got theirs straight, you know how you can get yours straight, right? And what he's speaking to is the systemic, look, this is one, they use the same technique over and over. This <laughs> is nothing different. You know, and so why shouldn't we be able to get out of these bond, you know, these, these chains, you know, if they're using the same techniques over and over, you know, and when and so we're talking about the same cycle of strip their culture away, degrade them to a point where they just feel they have nothing and then offer them something. Offer them, in, you know, in, in your in your image, you know, and so that they'll be aspired by your images and aspire to be like the people who created those images. And, you know, that is what that's about. You know, that's what Egyptology is about. You know, that's the, that's the well-coordinated plan, you know, for, for Africans in, in this society is to just keep that same cycle going on. But there's a way to break the cycle. And, you know, the way to break the cycle is, as, just as Kiana said, Sankofa. We have to go back now and understand, you know, that authenticity. Pull them lies off. We got to understand that they're lies first. And we need to pull them off. And then we need to really examine our culture for what it is. Because it in, just, just goes back into the Madhu Nature, right? It, the Madhu Nature in itself teaches you how these people looked at themselves. You know, how the people of Kemet looked at themselves in a high regard. You know, and so you see you, you signs like um, the sign for wife, right? Was a, a well of water. It was a well of water. Now remember, Kimmet is in the desert, right? And we understand the Nile is, is here, but all around Kimmet is a desert. You stranded out in the desert, 
the most important thing to you is a well of water, right? It, it, look, these signs were arbitrarily made. Like I said, this is nature. You know, the, these signs come from that divine intelligence, <laughs> you know, that, that causes them to, to put those signs and relay these messages, right? And so we call our wife, you know, Hemet. They call the wife Hemet, which was that, you know, the well of water. That was the, the word for it. And, you know, and so they, they did things like this, you know, whenever they wanted to talk about going to or towards a person, they would use a wave of energy because they saw each other as divine beings of energy, right? When they talked about going to or towards a place, they used a whole nother symbol. It wasn't a wave of energy, right? It didn't have anything to do with energy. It was a mouth. But when they talked about a person, people, they talked about, you know, a, it was a divine, a symbol of divinity, right? And, and this is what I'm talking about. You know, there's pride in that, into understanding that our ancestors saw themselves in such a, in such a high regard. You know, and, and these are the things that we need to do. This is why studying, to me, studying Madhu Nature is that important because it teaches you about so much about the culture of Kimmy. You can't learn Madhu Nature without learning the culture. If you're really studying Madhu Nature, if you're studying hieroglyphics, you're not learning the culture. Uh, you're learning Greek culture. But Madhu Nature gives you a really good insight. And then we didn't, you know, get into a Sar Setin Heru symbol. That teaches you about the whole matrilineal, you know, uh, society that Madhu Nature was founded in. You know, the symbol of a set was the throne, the with, with the yoni egg, letting you know that it was a feminine energy that is the throne. The symbol of a sar was a throne with the eye on top of it. The eye means to do. So the eye was the person who did the work of the throne, but he had to marry the, he had to become one with the throne. So that was the, the man, the ruler becoming, had to go through the woman in order to bring out or do the work of society, you know, societal work. These glyphs break all of this stuff down. You know, this is, like I said, this wasn't arbitrary stuff that they just put in it. You know, all of this stuff explained the culture to you. It's, it's beautiful, it's poetry. It really is. You know, and I know I sound biased because, you know, and I sound very passionate. And, you know, it comes off as, but, but it is, it's, to me, it's that beautiful, you know? Yes. I, I just, I just have to say this because this is making some, so much sense to, to me. me too, to me too. So the woman <laughs> was on the throne and had all the power. They the woman had a, yes. They you had, you the had to marry the woman to get the power. You had, the they right woman. They flipped the you know? script, erased it all, yeah. and the men had the power. I'm just yeah. saying. Yeah. I'm just saying. And you yeah. know that's what I'm saying, Anita, because you know I've been saying that for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Look, yeah. You, and, and, mm -hmm. and, and I don't mean to get political, but fast forward to this century, these times, Roe v. Wade reversed. Taking hey, power. I'm gonna hey, stop. I'm not gonna go hey, anywhere, but I'm, I'm saying it's a larger plan. Yes. A larger plan because the you know, women are powerful, it's being recognized. We are doing things, but it's for the betterment of humankind, human being, for our society, for our community, for one another. Yeah, absolutely. So, I just want to definitely speak to that point. Absolutely. So in ancient Kemet, they definitely understood, like you said, um, 
relationship, man, woman, actually man, woman, child, that's that's yes. what the Ankh represents, which is life. Trinity. The Ankh represents life. Mm-hmm. And the symbol, the Ankh, you know, the circle with the line and then the teeth, that is man, woman, child. Right. You put that say those three together, it equals life. Right. So, and then also what he just meant, what Basui just stated about how the man and woman work together, the woman has the power, the man marries the woman and now wields the power. That's a union. Union, yeah. Unfortunately, in our society where we live in the Western world, they have, from the beginning of time, erased women and made us definitely under their foot. But that is not the, the way of of ancient Kemet. No. They worked no. in harmony. And Ma is all about harmony and balance. Even how they, like Caroline pointed out, how they stole and used that for other religions that came afterwards, Christianity, Judaism, things like that. The Holy Trinity that we know in Christianity is literally Father, Son, Spirit. They just hijacked that from the Ankh, which is man, woman, child. That's the true trinity and one that makes sense with nature right right but as you can see they had an agenda like you said anita it's political so they had an agenda to take women away and to take Mm -hmm. you know nature away and just made it all about white males and you cannot you can yes you can run the world just with white males but we see where we are today so it's a combat that sort of and that sort of backward society that we are living in on the western side, the only way to combat that is to return to our roots yeah. and take yeah. it back to working in harmony with each other. Each one in the society in harmony with each other. Mm-hmm. No animosity to your brother, and we and that's what we're known for. But yet they want to play up black on black violence and all this stuff. They like to put that out there to totally erase the community that we've always had amongst every African country. That's right. It's right. the whisper in the ear and they yeah. keep whispering. Of yeah. course. And that's not who we are. We don't have to be that. We're not yeah. that. But if you tell us we're that and you don't show us anything else, okay, we can do that too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That also speaks to the, the answer to the question, why is studying the language of the comedic people so oh, important yeah. because what I've just discovered sitting here is that the 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 metal nature and I'm probably saying it wrong. Forgive me. For no, that was that was it. That was um, on point. Okay, good. It it's it's a philosophy, and and to me, it documents the the recorded history of our ancestors, the way they lived, the way they their spirituality, um, their um, sciences, their mathematics, their philosophies, their traditions, their theology. So without, right. without right. it, we, uh, we no longer have any documented um, um, evidence of how the ancestors lived and, and recognition of the way we are today. Because right. and, yeah. yes, and and so that's what I'm, I'm feeling like. This is why it's important for us to understand the language of this uh, of this um, ancient people. Yeah, and, and look, there are certain places in in Egypt they will not let you into these places to see your own history. 
These, these really? are Arabs that own it now. They're occupying uh, Egypt now. They're There's not letting us into that. some of these places. Huh? There's a reason for that. I feel like as yeah. we are, or Kiana mentioned too, as we are moving into a whole different age, um, history is starting to reveal itself. What was oh, hidden yeah. from now, oh, what, what was hidden is, is now yes. being revealed. We're starting yes. to, to come into a an understanding. We like to use the phrase, when you know who you are and you know whose you are, then you can become a better person. But the, that phrase is, is really set for today. Mm. We need to know everything about who we are in order for us to be able to go back to, you know, we hear, let's go back to our roots. We really need to go back to our roots because as Kiana mentioned, we're talking about an ancient people who understood balance, who understood what working together as family, as, as a people was going to do for their community. We've lost right. that. And right. we want to talk about why Kiana mentioned again, black on black crime or why we live in a community where, you know, we can't come together. It's because we do not have any knowledge that that existed for us. Exactly. And Caroline, yeah. you said know thyself. And as Basui didn't mention it tonight, but it's it's one of the very, um, one of the sentences that are on many of the temples throughout Kemet. Is every temple, yeah. Know, every every temple, temple at the doorway. Know thyself. Know thyself is at the doorway. Before you enter, you must know thyself. So you, you hit the, you said it. And that's what's missing. And so they know how important knowing thyself was. So of course the recourse and the plan was these people cannot know who they are. That is the plan. It's been working for 4,000 years and here we are. Yeah. So that's why it is, it is important for us to, we have to know ourselves and we have to teach others to know themselves mm. so that we can bring our power back. That This is where our power lies. And we know it's mm. where our power lies because the people and the powers that be have gone through great lengths to suppress this information. Yeah. Why? Because they do not want us to step into our true power. Yeah. But the joke is on them because we are waking up one by one. There's yeah. a great awakening. It's There's pockets of it, but we're spreading it. And thank you for a platform like this podcast that people can listen to so that they too can be awakened from wherever they sit, wherever. It's not just we're coming in live from New Jersey, but you can hear this all across the world. If you are a person of color and you have not yet awakened, the time is now because we need you in this fight. Right. Yeah, this is definitely right. the time. Definitely right. the time. Seek internally to find out who you are. And Madison Avenue is built on and is always promoted to look at the things outside of you. Things, literally, have that, have this. Ooh, this is shiny over here to draw your attention outward. But the real place to be is within you. That's where you find yourself. So yeah, the journey back to you is looking internally. That's right. Absolutely. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, like know, Deanna said, I that was one of the themes. You came in, know thyself. You know, that's yeah. what it really that's, all about. That's, that's amazing. It's beautiful. And I know we still have a whole lot to learn. And I know I'm not, I'm, it's unrealistic for us to think that we're going to be able to capture all of that in, in the three episodes that right, we have right. in this um, podcast. But I, I really want everyone to really, really get serious about, um, studying 
studying this because it's 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 important to know. Even if you decide after you study this that this is not something for you, at least you would have at least know what to compare it with. You will be able to understand the difference between truth and untruth. If right. Kiana mentioned it, if truth was not important, then we would know the truth and be able to make these decisions for ourselves. <laughs> That's because right. That's the story of Black history. <laughs> fighting so hard to keep truth from Black people, it mm -hmm. literally makes me wonder why. I have to wonder why if you believe that you are right, then why not expose everything? Why not allow mm -hmm. us to understand every part of our history? Why hide it from us? Mm. This is something that you feel means nothing. And then on top of that, we have documented evidence to show that you basically hijacked this information and made it your own. And even when we're not even talking about spirituality, you mentioned, was it you, um, Basui, who said, or Kiana, that everybody, the tactic doesn't change. You hear people right, say right. a leopard doesn't change his spot. You hear in Christianity they say the devil does the same thing over and over again. He never changes the way he does everything. Correct, right? So mm -hmm. we know this to be true because even if you try to deny that our history was hijacked, all you got to do is look into history and see how our music yeah. has been hijacked, how our mm -hmm. fashion has been hijacked, how our hairstyles have been hijacked. You understand what I'm saying? You're doing the same things over and over again. You're still taking same. and taking and yeah. taking from the African people for, uh, as if this is okay. So it puts me in a position where I say, well, wait a minute. I see this happening even now. So I am more apt to believe that this happened 4,000 years ago, 5,000 years mm -hmm. ago, that, that this is still taking place today. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful yeah. to have you here. I'm grateful that you are having this conversation. I'm grateful that we have moved into the language because I am, I'm, I'm certain that there's going to be a lot of individuals who understand this a little bit better today than they did yesterday. So I, for one, am very grateful that we have opened this door. Now, I know that we're getting almost to the end of um, our podcast, but Basui, before we go, I want you to, to continue to tell us whatever it is that we may have missed that you wanted to say, because I want to make sure that when we leave here tonight that you have covered everything that you came here to cover tonight. Uh, uh, I think I, I, I spoke on Asara Set and Heru. I wanted to really relay that because it speaks, spoke to the matrilineal system. Uh, really, I think I'm just gonna kind of piggyback off of, uh, I'm gonna veggie back off of what you just said. Um, I think I pretty much exhausted what I wanted to, to say. But, you know, just as we can admire, you know, the, uh, you know, the greatness, the, the, the greatness of, of Kemet and all they had to offer, the language, you know, the, the monuments and the, the rich history. But just as you said, it's the same steps being repeated. Now, even though Kemet had its golden ages, in between those golden ages, they had what was called intermediate periods. And we know that Kemet is the first, you know, documented um, 
uh, civilization, you know, documented civilization, right? And so with that comes the first documented evidence of this repeated cycle that they've been playing on us. And that repeated cycle is what we allow a lot of times. And what we did, which caused some of these intermediate periods was we allowed the future oppressor to join our ranks. We promoted them to higher ranks in our society. We brought them into our army. You know, we, we became so buddy-buddy with them that we lost focus of what we really needed to do to fortify our land. And it got to a point when we finally, when we looked up, we were crowded out. And that right there is the beginning of the cycle of us sometimes not putting our culture into a bubble, into a vacuum and saying, we need to preserve this, right? If we need to really protect this. If we're gonna talk about rebuilding Wakanda, that's what we have to do. We have to, and, and I always say, I keep saying it, we have to go to the authentic, authenticity of it and fortify it. Can't let people in, we can't let them in. That's what happened in jazz music. That's what's happening in hip hop music. And I'm just going to another area of human activity, but in every area of human activity, when we let others in, we get diffused out, you know? And that's, that's the cycle. But this, and Kemet kicked off that, that was, the cycle was kicked off in Kemet. 4,000 years, you know, 6,000 years ago. And so there's a lot to learn from studying Kemet, obviously. You know, we can study his greatness, but we also need to take into account that it started off something that we need to stop. You know, that might have been the most important thing you said tonight. I think yeah. it was definitely, hey. it definitely was needed to be said. I, yeah. Mm -hmm. We have to be I honest really, about history. I'm, I'm listening to you and I'm saying, wow, that, and this is not the first time I've heard that type of conversation. I've heard it in other conversations that I've had with other people as we talk about our successes and our failures. Other people have said the same thing. So I think we're on the same page. And it's going to take a long time for us to get an understanding within our own communities or how important that particular part is. But we're gonna keep we're gonna keep fighting for it and we're gonna keep having these yeah. conversations so that we can keep it up here in our brain. Um Kiana, is there anything you'd like to um add as we um um come to a close of this conversation? I've really been enjoying this conversation. It, it went a lot of places that I didn't expect it to go. Um, but it was all necessary and I'm glad that we said it honestly and openly um but uh, it's just it's so much it's so deep because you were talking about like I said history that spans centuries so yeah it's not something that you can really sum up in an hour um so I'm definitely got a lot to think about for next time and I'm ready I'm ready to keep delving into it to make a difference I really hope that this podcast touches someone so that they can seek. Seeking you shall find. Yeah, there's no harm in finding out who you are and where your greatness lies. And the fact that 
you have to question if that's okay. It just speaks so much about the damage that has been done. It's like no one else has to question whether they can research their history, but we have to get permission. Permission from who to research your history? It's crazy. So I just, I just really am excited that people are going to have their interest peaked and will be seeking out this info and doing what they can to, to figure out how to know thyself. Nice. I know that you've nice. been enjoying this, Anita. I, I know. Yes. So uh, what are your parting words, my dear? Because I know you have. Oh. <laughs> well, I, I just want to say I piggyback off of Kiana. I think she said it all very well. And that was to speak to what um, Basui had to say within his closing. And I would add to that um, a question, which I think everyone listening may want to um, may want to know and also have. And that is Basui. So how uh, what reading would you suggest for us after delving into the language of commit in this conversation that we had? Because certainly my interest is peaked and I do want to begin my research and have a clearing understand, clearer understanding. So what would you suggest as a, a reading for us and offer to the audience? Oh, well, I always tell people as an orientation into Kemet, you know, for the novice who just wants to be orientated into it, a book by my teacher, uh, my spiritual teacher, uh, the book is called Spiritual Warriors uh, Are Healers. And he breaks down, you know, the main concepts, the themes that have been, uh, you know, pervading throughout, uh, throughout the duration of Kemet's history, you know, from Ma'at. He breaks down the meaning of the natural natural. He really goes deep into these meanings, but they're at a level where the novice was just trying to get orientated into, you know, the studies would really be able to digest. I mean, it's a great read for that. A spiritual warriors are healers. A another one would be uh, the Now Valley Civilization by Tony Browder. That's that's a really a really good read on Kimmich. He does a, a great job, and he actually does. He's probably the only black person that we know that that does excavations. He's done excavations in Kemet. You know, he's gone there with teams. And he actually was responsible for doing a lot of digging up of what, you know, the 25th dynasty. And these were, you know, it's a family of people from quote unquote Sudan who came to Kemet and kicked out the invaders. And uh, he did a lot of excavation there and really found some, some groundbreaking artifacts. So he has a lot of that in his book, uh, it, but it's great. It's another one of those books that will really orientate you into learning Kemet. And can I just confirm the title is Now Valley Civilization? Yes, the Now Valley, right, the Nile. N-I-L-E. Right. Nile Valley Civilization. Okay. And the author, one more time, please. Anthony Browder. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I think that those two offerings would be um, something to set our journeys as we begin to delve deeper into this uh, topic and certainly a follow-up conversation from what we've discussed tonight. And you're right, Kiana, one hour is not enough to really dig deep. I think we were just starting to scratch the surface, but um, Basui, I just want to thank you because the I think Caroline said it well when she said, I understand that teaching that you gave us tonight and it hit home and it was made so clearly. And that's why I want to delve deeper because I get it. So I hope the same for our listeners. Thank you. And Kiana, that's yeah. the reason why it it the conversation moved in a different direction because as you began to get understanding, you begin to ask the right questions and those right yeah. questions lead right, to right. a different path. There's not really a real path when we talk about truth because truth will reveal itself. Mm -hmm. And we have these notions inside of us and sometimes our notions are set aside when we start unveiling um, what's really true. So I, I'm grateful that we allow our conversations to go to where it goes because yeah. it gives us an opportunity to really think deeply about everything that we said. So I wanna thank all of my guests tonight. I wanna thank uh, my co-host, Miss Anita Crum, and my guest, Mr. Uh, Basui Nika Amen, and his lovely wife, Kiana Jones Nika Amen. And I'm gonna uh, say that I really hope that my listeners will begin to ask the right questions so that we can start to unveil a whole lot more. And I hope you join us back here again next month as we continue this conversation and go a little bit deeper. My name is Dr. Caroline Bethea-Jones. I am here with you tonight with my co-host again, Ms. Anita Fung. And we are Real Talk with Real People, a candid conversation with Dr. Caroline Bethea-Jones. And we will see you next time. <laughs>